And we're live. And we're live. Hi, everyone. It is the 24th of August, 2023. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 168 of my live chat. How are you doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. I've been off, excuse me, for a couple of weeks. Uh, but here we are. I am back from vacation, slightly tanned, grayer somehow. The gray has really just really, <laughs> it's just eaten me up uh, at this point. But, you know, at 44, what are you supposed to do? All right. We are here today. We got a lot to get to. I'm going to guess that I've seen some of the stuff. Uh, there's lawsuit questions. There's 292 questions. I never really got to weigh in all that much on UFC 292, so we can get to that. By the way, I just spoke to Chito Vera. The interview is now up, youtube.com slash morning combat. Um, I just spoke to him. We had a nice conversation about tattooing. We had a nice conversation about fighting Sean O'Malley. And also, I kind of was curious about like the strength of Sean O'Malley's punch. So I had him differentiate between the punches of John Lineker and Sean O'Malley and how they kind of are, uh, how, how did they differ to him? Like, what was the challenge to him? And he kind of broke it all down. Really fun conversation. So check out our conversation with Chito Vera. That's up as well. Um, let's see. Please uh, do be so kind as to subscribe to the channel. It's free. doesn't cost you a damn thing. Othello is here on the ones and twos. Shouts to, to my guy, Othello. The Moroccan sensation. <laughs> something like that i guess I, I would need something that rhymes with moroccan i don't know the rockin moroccan is that what we should do the rockin moroccan something like that in any event he's here as well so big thanks to him thanks to you guys and everyone else involved um yeah we should get this party started shall we so without further ado let's do it and there we are we're back. Okay. Um, one more reminder, a bit of housekeeping notes. Of course, you got to be a subscriber to take pl to to participate in the chat. I believe it should be that setting. I don't even know if it is, but either way, um, take the poll. We have a poll up right now. It's been an interesting kind of conversation. No one really asked about this, and that I'm aware of. I guess we'll see. But I saw a lot of people comparing the O'Malley knockout of Sterling to the one against Aldo, and obviously there's differences because O'Malley had the subsequent ground and pound, whereas you know. I think it was maybe one hammer fist that Connor got in, but you know, it wasn't this sort of prolonged thing. But I always, I, I found those conversations to be, or not conversations, excuse me. I found those comparisons to be somewhat overstated. But the interesting conversation that's now happening, having, Jesus Christ, can I talk today? The interesting conversation now happening beyond the knockouts is to what extent Sean O'Malley could become a big star in the sport like how big is his star potential the answer is pretty big is it conor mcgregor big and that's the poll question do you think that we're not saying do you think sean o'malley is as popular as conor mcgregor is that's not what the question is the question is could he get there like of all the characters who you think could really make something of themselves if they maximize potential it, what about a maximized sean o'malley is that as big as conor mcgregor which is basically you know the going standard for elite level popularity of a combat sports athlete certainly on the mma side of things so take the poll see what you guys think we'll get to the results um at the end of the show and as always you are under zero obligation to um submit a donation but if you do we'll get to any kind of question you attach to it at the end all right all right um I think that's it. I think that's it for housekeeping notes. So let's go ahead and get to it now if we can. Let's refresh the page. All right. Okay. And let's pull it up. Here we go. Right there. 
Uh, oh, let's do it this way. There we go. Better. Uh, okay, first one. Luke, hope you're feeling better after your break away from this madness. The question is, hope you're doing well, my guy. Yeah, real quickly. I mean, a bunch of people very kindly reached out after the beginning of the last live chat. I mean, listen, I come to these live chats in the state that I'm in. And, you know, it's a little embarrassing looking back on the last one, if I could be honest with you. But what can I do? I'm not going to take it down. Uh, it's it's there. It's how I felt in the moment. I can tell you that since that day, um, I've had a couple of meetings that have gone reasonably well that have given me a little bit of peace of mind. That's one good thing. And then on top of it, I have had, um, you know, I had a good vacation. I had a great vacation, actually. So that was really nice. That gave me some comfort. But, you know, obviously, there's still just a ton of stuff that remains unresolved that we have to continue to work on. So it's not like all of that is behind me. But yes, I'm in certainly a much better place today. I'm certainly in a much calmer place today. I've got a few things, that, again, that have happened since that day that have given me some genuine, real, lasting, and important peace of mind. Um, not everything that I would want, if I could be candid with you, but in today's media environment, I'm not really sure who has it except for the very, 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 very elite. You know, Except for them, it's just a very difficult and tumultuous time. So, um, And I'm lucky to be in the situation that I'm in, quite frankly, relatively speaking. Given what else it could be uh, that could be happening out there, I'm, I'm, my situation is actually pretty good. So, a lot of people wrote really nice things to me. A lot of people wrote nice emails, many of which I've not had a chance to respond to. Uh, thank you very much. Um, people wrote me some text messages. People who know me a little more closely, thank you very much to all of them. Um, I'm better. I'm okay. Uh, you know, am I like as thrilled as thrilled could be? Well, maybe that's overstating it a little bit, but I'm doing definitely better and. Um, listen, here's just the reality about some of those things. You know, it's very easy to say this, but like, it is true. It's just true, which is I don't mind expressing vulnerability on camera. I really don't. I don't think it's people want to make it a big deal. I don't ever think it's a big deal because it's just part of the range of human emotions, um, for better, or for worse. But the reality is if you're going to fix anything in your life to the extent that you can, to the extent that anything is in your control, you can't stay there. You can't stay in that place. So it's okay to be in that place. It's okay to have gone to that place, but you can't stay there. You just can't stay there. You know, you have to, you have to, if you want anything better, you cannot be there. You have to move on from there. So you guys caught me at a moment where I was not necessarily thrilled with how things were going. Um, and that's okay. But you can't stay there. You gotta and and clock in for work again. You just have to. It was just an unfortunate moment that, uh, or I should say, unfortunate timing that the live chat started at this like really precarious moment that I was having. But that's that's the nature of. I mean, that's the nature of doing these things live. That's the nature of trying to be you know as honest with your audience as you can be. Um, yeah, that's it. All right. Look, I always learn a lot from reading, okay? The problem is I lose so much of the information as soon as I move on to the next book. Do you have any advice for retaining the knowledge that you get from reading? Yeah, I mean, I think if you... This is sort of like a non-MMA question, but I think if you're just reading books and then like flipping through the pages, putting them down, then going to get a new thing, it's going to be hard to synthesize that information in a, in a memorable way. Um I would say that one of the things that's really helpful, and not, not so much in the book itself, but 
believe it or not, there is some research to indicate that uh, the act of physically writing things down is better for your memory than even typing them out. So sometimes what I like to do is I like to actually just make notes, not even in the book, just separate. I have a Google Docs where I sometimes will write out some of these things, these core ideas that really hold that really hold value to me or whatever the case may be. The other part is you have to kind of talk about it with other people. You have to like engage with this information beyond just the silent act of reading. You have to engage it with like a lecture, with again, with other people, with, with writing it. There has to be some other kind of expression that uh, joins the act of reading to supplement it, to make it more of a mnemonic exercise. Um, and if you don't, you'll have the problems that you have. Also, just realize that there is going to be some, uh, you know, your mind is a little bit of a, of a strainer. It's a sieve. Like some stuff's going to just leak through. So that part is inevitable. Um, it, it Also, going over the information from a separate angle in a new book can also really reinforce things as well. But my, my basic point is that whatever you're trying to learn, you have to engage it in different ways beyond just the act of reading it. Otherwise, it to your point, it may not stick around all that much. Note-taking, conversations, engaging with other forms, engaging with, with, with in a, to the extent that one's available in a classroom environment. All of these things will will buttress the ability to memorize or to uh, it's not really memorization to to learn it in a way that's lasting. All right, Luke, uh, Ian Gary looked great on Saturday night, but I want to know what you think, who you think rather would win the striking battle between him and Wonder Boy. Thanks for all the content over the years. It's a good question. Um, and you saw Dana White was like, oh, we offered him a short notice about. I think it was against Ian Gary, whoever it was, who offered him the short notice spot. It's like, yeah, Wonder Boy is not looking for that, right? He's not looking for a short notice opportunity. He's looking for a full camp where he can give everything that he has. Okay, neither here nor there. How would a striking battle between him and Wonder Boy, who do you think would win? Um, here's the thing. Gary looked really good, uses his length well. I do think he's going to have uh, prob. You know what? I, if I think... At this point, I might favor Gary. I thought the performance against Magni was really strong. Um, I do wonder... I, the thing is that Wonder Boy has... I won't say it's a kryptonite, but it's always been a little bit more... He's always been a little bit more hittable when you can force him into boxing range. And so, is that what Ian Gary would do? He could. He certainly could. Certainly on the table, Yeah. Uh, is that the likeliest one? I'm not sure. I think I would still favor him. I think I would still favor him. I mean, the thing is, this Wonder Boy is what almost 40 or at 40. How old is Wonder Boy? Let me clarify that right up front before I start giving you fake news. How old is Wonder Boy? Let's see. Wonder Boy is currently. I mean, he's like Wonder Man at this point. Yeah, he's 40. He's 40. In fact, he'll be 41 in February, which is not far from now. So yeah, yeah, he's up there. Um, I, t I tend to think that the guys who can force it, I mean, it doesn't always work this way, right? So like Wonder Boy had the fight with, correct me if I'm wrong, let me just double check here as well. He had the fight against Jeff Neal. Jeff tried that. It didn't exactly work. So it doesn't always work that way. But I think in general, and you know, he had the fight against Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad. That, that went a little bit differently. Um, Darren Till, I didn't think he lost. But the Pettis one, the Superman punch where he, Pettis told me, it was interesting, right? Pettis told me that, he felt a kick from Wonder Boy, and he felt that the shin, when it hit him, 
wherever he kind of blocked it or it was to the ribs, he felt it was really close to the knee. Like it was close to not his own knee, that Wonder Boy's knee was real close to his to the landing where it had happened. He was like, oh, he's too far forward. And so when he felt that, he was like, uh, he kind of measured the distance. Then he hit the Superman punch and he knew he was close enough and it just crushed him. So that's a little bit different because you're exploding into range. But even Woodley was able to have some success with that as well. Not that, you know, Gary would have to borrow that game plan, but I just kind of feel corralling and crowding him and forcing him into boxing exchanges, especially with that hands-down style. That's going to win you a lot of – that's going to up your chances, I, I should say, against him. And I think that's on the table for a guy like Ian Gary. So I'd probably favor Gary at this point. You know, prime versus primes, maybe a different conversation, but still. All right. Um Interesting question, I suppose. Uh, okay, yeah. Would be interested to hear your thoughts. One, where you'd like this channel to go. And if you could, would you hire more staff? To, oh, Jesus, I would love to hire more staff to help you with the editing and maybe tape study. Do you actually care about covering Connor not fighting for the fifth time this year? How would you structure your own content? I mean, guys, the reality is I am only limited by time. It's just my biggest issue. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I would do. Like, everyone thinks, oh, you just show up to Morning Combat. You just start talking and it's over. And like, yeah, I mean, some of what we do is is truly not, you know, we're not hanging shingles on a roof. But the reality is like a fair amount of tapes that he goes into it. That takes time, notes, looking up stuff. Like it takes a little bit of time to do all that stuff. And then you have the act of doing it. And then the biggest thing, the biggest challenge is really is is not even that so much. It's just, I, I've kind of told you guys before, you know, at five o'clock, my, you know, someone's got to watch my kid and it's got to be me for the most part. Not always, but mostly it's got to be me. My wife has different working hours. And so that's just kind of where like I turn back into a pumpkin. So it's just finding the time and the day. Here's what I would love to do. I would love to have a technical preview of every fight of every weekend's biggest main event and have a up as soon as possible review from a technique breakdown every Sunday or Monday. That was I would love to have that. That would be really, really great. I would want to do that. I would want to do much more video essays if I could. Uh, um, there, and this might happen. There's actually a chance where we might scale out more chats and then segment them in different ways. I mean, like the possibilities are endless. Like I kept this thing kind of on this, this channel on life support since you know, I, I left it dormant for almost a year doing MK, which I now really regret, but I'm glad I built it up the way I did. And I'm glad it's still got a little bit of life left and potentially even a brighter future. It's just a function of time just a function of time i have to a lot and also like there are certain things that i owe from a contractual standpoint i owe cbs and mk like i have to put certain things there and then i have to the rest of it gets freed up here but if i had like free reign i mean you know you'd get daily uploads candidly you would get daily uploads it's just doing a show three times a week some travel involved there's all kinds of back-end shit i can't even get into on that side it eats up a lot of time. Then it comes 5 p.m. I have to watch my kid. There are some, obviously, differences in terms of what I'm able to do around that. But you get the idea. Um, I would just love to have a very consistent technical breakdown, previewing, reviewing, constant, constant. That's really what I want. I want that all the time. I really feel like there's grand opportunity there. Uh, I'm just I'm just limited by how much time I have in the day to get all of this shit done. You know, it's just not as... There's a there's a lot that goes into doing a podcast the way we, we try to do it, unfortunately. Um, so, it, uh, I, I mean, and, and to be clear, even with those limitations, I know I'm not maximizing what I could be doing on this channel. That's really, I think, going to be the focus moving forward is to shore up those that gap. 
but uh, I've tried. You know, Othello's been riding with me for a long time. We have tried for a while to make different things work. It's just the time is a real ass kicker. When I was single or even just dating or even just married, like there is no five o'clock turn back into a pumpkin deadline. I could go all night, all night following falling down fight finder rabbit holes, YouTube rabbit holes, this idea, that idea. And the other part too was when I had a deal with Sirius XM, this was my deal. Now I don't know what they do with current talent, but one of the issues that uh, I was, I, I had not, not had, but one of the great things that I had was in my contract, they allowed me to take one segment of every show and film it. They would give me the audio for it. And the audio would obviously be very nice. And they would allow me to post it on my YouTube channel. So there was a time when I was on Sirius XM when I was doing daily uploads of like segments. Boom, just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. I mean, I would love to be able to do something like that again. I don't know how doable that is, again, given everything aforementioned, but that would be big. Um, I've had people volunteer to kind of help me with tape study. It's really not what I need. I need, I candidly, what I need is, and I don't even know if I have the budget for it, but what I need is, capable video editors is really the big deal for me uh and then i wish there was like 28 30 hours in a day that would really make things easier for me but i am where i am violenta's here by the way she might come pop 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 we'll see all right uh marab said that aljo deserves a rematch yeah not sure about that and he would wait indefinitely for a title shot until aljo gets and wins the rematch we know that waiting for title shots rarely ends well, especially if you don't have huge star power. And Devalish Wheelie, Wheelie, I think is how you pronounce it, does not. What do you think of this and all of the friendship dynamic he and Aljo have? Uh, in my opinion, very understandable, this person writes, but could also alter irreversibly Marab's career. Let us see something very quickly. Let me see how old Marab is before I answer that question, because, of course, it will impact everything. All right, so Marab currently with a record of 16 and 4 is 32. Yeah, I wouldn't be waiting around too long if I was him. Uh, now, he's obviously in tremendous shape, and he might be able to go longer than, than normal. But at 135 pounds, you're going to age like dog years past 32. All right, so let's talk about this. First things first, what about the idea about Aljo getting an immediate rematch? Boy, I am just not in favor of that. He got finished. He got finished. and. Listen, that by itself wouldn't necessarily be disqualifying for a, a immediate rematch. Immediate rematches, I mean, again, it's the matchmaker's whim. So we're just trying to, like, cobble together based on different preferences that we all have. What's good for the what's, – what's fair to the combatants? What's fair to the division? What makes sense given the calendar? Like, all these things. Um. I think that if Aljo had won and he had beaten Sean, you really would have had to have shifted the conversation or change it up a little bit about who the greatest bantamweight of all time is. Now, I don't listen to what I'm saying very carefully. That's not me declaring that unambiguously it would make Aljo number one. I don't I don't know that that's the case because there are parts to Cruz's resume and then the duration of how well he did um, that I think complicate the argument a little bit, but it would be in the running. He would have been in the running for sure. And even then he's still, you know, one of the better bantamweight champions. Uh, I mean, there's not been a ton of them, but his, his reign was distinguished. I want to be clear. This is in no, n nothing that I'm about to say 
is designed to minimize the great success that Algebane Sterling had. That's not my intention. That's not what I'm doing. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't even want to do it, uh, even if I even if I could. But the point I'm trying to make is um, the TJ Dillashaw win. I don't. It's not. It's not Aljo's fault. But you can't really count that as a significant win, given the completely. I mean, damaged isn't even the word. Just utterly unprepared physically in terms of injury, uh, the ability to withstand injury that TJ went into that fight with. You can't really count that one. And But but if he had beaten Sean, I was like, you know what, man? That really, because the Henry one, he was off for a while. And what does it mean? The Jan rematch, I thought was super clean. That's I think that's still Aljo's best win, if I can be candid. I mean, the beating Corey Sandhagen as fast as he did, maybe that's what it is, but just in terms of how difficult beating Jan is and how well Aljo performed there. That's my favorite win of his. I think that's really – I didn't – in the first fight, remember, Aljo came out hot and then kind of faded, and the t- the fight was turning uh, at the moment where Jan hit him with the illegal knee. Everyone makes it out to be like, oh, Aljo's holding up the belt and all this stuff, and I guess that was part of it. But also the fight was beginning to turn at that moment. But then he goes into the rematch, and he just looked tremendous. He looked fucking great in that fight, you know? So – so that was part of it. The TJ fight, you know, I just don't really know what that, it doesn't mean anything because you just can't read anything into it. Henry is a very tough competitor, but he was off for a while. He's a little bit long in the tooth. And so it's a good win, but it was a very close fight. But I was like, you know what? If you can go there and get a guy less than 30 years old who's on a run, who is super fucking dangerous on the feet, you go and you do that, man, it's going to be, that's going to be a great win. And he didn't, he got, he got finished. And so to me, it's like, I don't, I don't see the case for the immediate rematch. He had a great run as a champion. He had a distinguished run. And it would be foolish to think that he couldn't make some different um, approaches to a game plan were he to get a rematch. But if your run as champion was very good, but not like all-time great, and you got finished inside the distance, and inside two, you got finished inside two, you know, it's just not... That's not really a case for an immediate rematch for me. I think, you know, back at the line, I don't know. I, maybe winning one would be sufficient. But immediate rematch, no. Now, how that complicates their relationship, I don't know. You're asking, what do you think of this, of him wait, deciding to wait a year and all the friendship dynamic? Yeah, if I, I, candidly, you know, listen. I'm not in a position to be able to speak for the brotherhood of elite fighters. but. To the extent that I've seen anything in a gym, the camaraderie that longtime training partners have for one another and the level of responsibility that they take and and ownership for what they feel like they owe the other guy is not always ironclad. There are times where you can break it, but it is usually pretty important to making that relationship work. And so what you're asking them to do essentially is we need you to dissolve what makes this relationship work in order to take advantage of a title shot. So I just don't think that is going to be in the cards. It's why Daniel Cormier made such a, we talked about it before, made such a grand effort to avoid Cain Velasquez at heavyweight as long as he could and needed to and did to honor what made that relationship both in the gym and as people work. You're asking some people can fight as training partners and it's not a big deal. You do see it in kickboxing sometimes, but in MMA, it'd be, it's, they see it as a big deal. They see it as, as assaulting of a friend. They don't want to do it. 
And I think you have to respect that. But, dude, the reality is just going to be this. If that's what he wants to do, because preserving that relationship is considered to him, for him, the most important thing, you know, punting on a year of your career at 135 pounds from age 32 to 33 is profoundly inadvisable. And you're just going to have to eat the consequence of it. You have really just have to make a choice there. So either way, it's bad for one of those things. It, and by the way, like like if he were to try and fight Aljo or or something, you know, depending on how they the UFC wanted to make that work, um, or not, but just getting in front of him and then potentially being champion and Aljo still isn't ready to move to 145, it creates complicating factors. Either way, you're going to have to blow up something. Either way. If it really means you want to wait a year, I would. Ju- I mean, if you were, you know, just on pure fight career advice terms, that is super inadvisable. Super inadvisable. A year, dude, in a year, the division can turn like that in a year. And you can get old quick and he can get injured quick. And then you just, you know, go to practice one day, you tear ACL, and then you're you out a year. And then you're ready to come back. You sign for a fight. It's a title shot. You tear your ACL. Now you're out another year. And now you're 34, maybe 35. Like you just you're you're. It's super inadvisable to do that. Really, really. But it's also you know devastating for your gym potentially to try and find a way around that. You know, and Aljo has uh, Aljo was there first, and uh, the gym works in a certain kind of hierarchy. And if you mess with that, you mess with the everything that makes that work. That can be a real problem too. It's not a great problem to have, unfortunately. But you know, if there's any, I mean, if I was him, I would be like, I'd take a fight at 145. I'll fight other contenders. Sitting out for a year, fuck that. No, uh, uh-uh. very bad idea. Uh, Luke, I saw your tweet about Jordan Oliver's cross-body arm triangle. Can you expand on what made it impressive and how would you compare it in difficulty to Andrade's standing triangle and Sterling's triangle from bottom? So let's talk about that one. That's a great question, actually. Wow. So if you guys saw this, Jordan Oliver, who was, a, I think, a two-time Division One national champion. He was, an, I think, an Olympian as well. I know he won the national trials in the at the U.S. Open uh, as a senior-level competitor not senior high school or senior um college but past that post post scholastic wrestling into into freestyle put it this way guy can wrestle his ass off yeah he had a bellator debut and he hit a head and arm triangle now i want to be clear about this you know um so it has dawned on me over time that there are updates to all of these techniques that I have missed by virtue of not being in the gym the last 5 6 years right and it's kind of hurt me a little bit but I'll tell you what I do know about this a little bit which is that whenever you have a head and arm triangle and then the the hand that comes around the head this is flat to the mat right so it's flat to the mat like this whenever you do that um the way it was taught to me was when you can lock that up it's just too hard unless you've got like a really ridiculous squeeze it's just too hard to make that work unless you can get to the other side, right, of their body. And then on top of it, you have to go like this, right, with your body. You have to get, you have to essentially, let me, how would I show it? Is there something I can show here that would make it work? Yeah, I'll just take these wires, right? Think of it like a sponge, right? Think of, I mean, this is a bunch of wires, but think of it like a sponge. If I twist it, Right, I'm going to wring more water out of it. 
Right? That's the idea. This the twisting action. The whole idea, what I was taught, was that when you lock up the head and arm triangle, right? When you get underneath the arms, the arm is past you this way. You jump to that other side of the body, and then you actually walk out at an angle. Now they don't really do that much anymore, but the whole idea was initially that they walk out at an angle because you're twisting it to tighten it around the neck. Now there's other ways that have since been shown, which was one of which is the same thing. You hop to the other side of the body, and then you bring your chest on top of the back of their tricep. And that will also, you bring your chest behind here, and that will also really seal it off. Um, but, you know, it's even it, it, just locking it up from someone's guard or from, you know, even from mount. Like, you can do it from mount, certainly, especially if they're tired, you can do it. But the whole idea was getting across to the other side. It begins that closing of the door, begins that twisting. It's not a literal twist, but it's a, that, that, that uh, cinching process, Yeah take all the slack out of it um so i remember one time i saw rick story inside of brian foster's guard do that like inside of his guard finish him off dude that's very hard to do you have to have a fucking squeeze to do that now you're asking about two other ones right where one was standing head and arm triangle i mean i guess you can lean into it so there might be some kind of like driving at this way to seal it off, but you still have to have a ridiculous squeeze. Aljamain Sterling, the one you're bringing up, is the one I've never forgotten it. It's the one he did underneath on Takeya Mizugaki from basically what would be underneath guard. You know, so understand like it's one thing to do it where you're cross body and you're going away at the other side and you have the force of gravity pushing down on you, or you have the force of, you know, you can use your feet to push into the choke. You know, you having something assist you there. But when you're hanging underneath, you are you are suffering from gravity. And, dude, Sterling still got him with that. Dude, Sterling's fucking squeeze must be ridiculous. Ridiculous. So now let's revisit it. What am I talking about? Jordan Oliver not only didn't have mount or the opposites, you know, the, 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 correct, the correct side to do it, he was all the way on the other side where, like, I've never actually even seen someone hit a head and arm triangle from there. Now I'm told there are ways to make that work after the fact where there are some different gripping sequences where you can kind of make that go. But the whole point is imagine a world where it was always taught. You have to get to the other side and then you have to walk out fully cinching the, the, the process. Now guys can stay over there, curl their head around, change their grip up. I'm not sure how the grip works on that one. And they can get it. Like, dude, the level of squeeze. Now, there are some technical details that change, but the level of squeeze is like, you know, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I, I've always had a pretty good squeeze. Um, you know, I, that's actually been one of my favorite things. I've actually had a pretty good squeeze, and even I don't have, I don't have a squeeze like that. Even on like smaller training partners, like that's a that's you know, you're taking away all the mechanical advantages that were typically there for that position. You're removing it. And then you're still getting the sub like that's that's strong. That's very, 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 very strong. Just remember, I was blown away the first time I saw Rick Story do it in Brian Foster's guard. I was like, God damn, Rick Story must be strong as shit. And now you're getting, you know, Aljamain Sterling doing it underneath, hanging underneath, like just ridiculous levels of squeeze, man. Ridiculous. Okay, let's get to this one. 
Uh, okay, Luke, I am starting to have real concerns about what the future holds for Tony Ferguson. He again has confirmed he has no plan to retire, yet it is clear as day that it is time, this person writes. How much more damage and wear and tear does he have to take? I know this sounds insensitive in that it is none of my business. That's not quite true. But Tony has a history of personal issues going back. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. But Tony has a history of personal issues going back to even, excuse me, what am I saying? Personal issues going back even to when he was winning and on top. Since then, he has taken obscene amounts of damage, starting with the Justin fight. And it makes me fear for what life after fighting looks like for Tony. I hope he lives happily ever after, but it is concerning, I think. Well, I did see some of the stuff he put out on social media. I'm not sure what to say about this, you know. Um, it's bad. It's bad. Um, I don't really know exactly what his motivation is. You know, he's 39 at 170 pounds. That's old. That's old. He's old with a lot of miles on himself. He doesn't move the same way. His body doesn't respond the same way. And um, it looks to me, and again, I don't, I'm not there. So it's hard for me to be very clear about diagnosing the issue. Uh, but one, I mean, listen, here's what these guys do for the entirety of their career, right? They brainwash themselves over and over and over and over and over and over again. I've talked about this a number of times, but if you're new, it works like this. Dude, you can't do that as an occupation. Yes, you have to want to do that. That's true. But even if you want to do that, it's fucking hard. Your body is going to get beat up. You're going to get injured. You're going to be broke as shit at first. You you may feel like the world is letting you down. You don't have opportunities. You have to constantly reinforce to yourself that all of those things can't stop you or that one day you're going to overcome it. And and the better ones like Tony eventually do. You know, they eventually do. They climb that ladder. Now, did he get as far as we wanted him to or that he wanted to? Well, probably not. He didn't become an outright weight class champion. He had the injuries. He didn't get the big fights he wanted to, to get. Um, I suspect the fact that he didn't get the big money fights that he wanted plays some kind of a role here, but that's conjecture. I don't know that. But what I would say is, you know, when you see guys struggle with retirement, what they're struggling with is the years of not just telling themselves they can overcome it, but shutting off the spigot of that reflex, right? If you are if you have practiced telling yourself over and over and over and over, I can overcome this, I can beat this, I can beat this, and many times it has come true, why would you stop believing it when the rest of the world says you're old? Like what the, you know, in your mind, what the fuck do they know? They don't know shit, right? I can still do this. Yeah, you, like, oh, you, oh, oh, other 39-year-olds look bad at 170? Yeah, that's them. That ain't me. Uh, and again, I don't know that Tony is having this particular kind of internal dialogue. I'm just trying to make an example. But like you talk to these guys, man, like I don't, I don't, I really don't think folks realize how much these guys live and die in their own mind. And this is why when they lose confidence at certain times, they can just completely look like a shell of themselves, even if they haven't necessarily taken a ton of damage, although a ton of damage over time can also affect them mentally. But not everyone, not everyone. A lot of these guys just like, eh, put it out. So my hunch, it's just a hunch, I've not spoken to Tony, but my hunch 
is that it's probably twofold. I think one is probably an economic because, and I, this is this is true for really anyone in his position. A guy who was an elite fighter who is clearly past it, and you know, can he beat someone on the UFC roster? Maybe, um, but I don't really know who that would be, and it would certainly have to be more like the Jim Miller kind of approach where you're taking guys at a much lower level just to kind of stay active and and maintain the career at that stage. But I don't even know if that's possible at this point, given the damage that he's taken. But again, I think it's sort of two factors. One, I, I, I suspect there's an economic factor involved. And, you know, candidly, I have sympathy for any fighter who feels like in MMA, they didn't get paid what they were worth because we know for a fact they're not paid what they're worth. So when they complain about that or if they feel like they missed the boat on that, um, they're probably right. They're probably right. They're, there's probably a very strong argument that they didn't. The problem is, how do you fix it in between now and whenever their career ultimately comes to a close? I don't know. There's long-term solutions in play that people are seeking out, but there's nothing. There's no immediate remedy to any of this. So that's one factor. But the other factor is a guy like Tony. Dude, Tony at his peak, people always talk about like, oh, he had this crazy style and stuff like that. And that's true. Like, he did have a crazy style. He always oh, got amazing cardio. 100% true. Like, again, to me, his best win is beating Rafael Dos Anjos at Mexico City, which is like 73, 7,400 feet in the air. Like, just crazy, crazy, crazy cardio. 100% true. Oh, he was durable as shit in his prime. All true. All facts. Those are, those are many of the key ingredients that made him there. But one of the most important ones, even for a guy who did appear to have, at times, mental health episodes... As a competitor, dude, his mind was bulletproof, bulletproof. And all the best ones kind of are, are like that, it's, if not for the duration of the careers, certainly for, for very pivotal, peak, important moments. And he had that. He had that. And that is hard to let go of when you feel like I didn't get out of this what I wanted and it's collapsing around you. Um. So how this ends or what it looks like next, your guess is certainly as good as mine. But, um, you know, there are many reasons. I, it sounds like every week we bring it all back to this, but there are many, 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 many reasons why fighter pay is important. Uh, and it's not to say that if you paid them everything that they earned, this would never happen. That is not my point. But rather, one, you wouldn't feel as bad about the situation if they did get paid what they were owed. And more often than not, if they actually made really good money, really good money, um, you just don't see as many of these situations. The ones who hang on are the are, are not always, but more often than not, the ones who are longing for a payday that um, never fully materialized. Or in other cases, like in boxer in cases, guys who did make a bunch of money and then just blew it all, you know. Uh, but that's not really the case, I don't think, with Tony. So it's a it's a Based on what he wrote, you know, I hope he can do something to salvage the situation. Um, I have concerns that it's going to end poorly. But I guess we're going to see. All right, here we go. Luke, if the court ruling deems contracts can't just extend for winning title fights, how many UFC big names would need to leave or strike to make a dent in the machine? Do you think Sugar, Volk, Izzy... Olives and Justin is enough, assuming Connor. Connor has one end, by the way. Doesn't fight again and Bones retires. Or is the machine just too big? No, no, no. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to, it's hard to process what it all might look like. And it's not going to be an overnight thing. Um, 
you know, and it's not going to be any kind of immediate thing. Yes, there's going to be a trial in April or, okay, first of all, the Ninth Circuit could take up the appeal, which could change everything and the class certification. And then this all gets kicked down the road and God only knows. So there's a lot of ways it gets derailed. But even if it were to go through and even if they were to get injunctive relief, and let's say that the injunctive relief looked like the UFC is no longer able to sign two-year contracts. There's a, there's like a lot of different factors in play here. I mean, dude, this would just I just can't overstate how radically this would transform the industry. Like, would the UFC keep all the weight? Like, the size of the UFC would shrink, in my judgment. I don't see how it couldn't. In part because you're going to get other players who are going to offer one or two-year deals, a PFL, a one, or whatever who are going to pull guys away for big money fights in certain spots, and that's going to shrink it. Moreover, with the UFC, like the only way their content schedule works is if they have all of those names on the roster and they can pay them what they pay them and keep them at that level. Now, I guess they could like vastly cut into their own profits and keep that, but even then, just the amount of turnover that's going to be there is going to be significant. So I just think what they're going to end up doing is shrinking a lot of it they may not have as many divisions they may not have as many people per divisions they're not going to have as many events it's going to be like whatever the bloat of the ufc is that will shrink and it will move into other spaces right so you'll have potentially this is one way it could go you could have many especially if pfl buys bellator you could have many more of those events you could have more one events or you could have if saudi arabia gets involved like they're doing in soccer with their sovereign wealth fund God only knows what they could end up doing, right? Or these guys taking boxing fights and cutting across lanes there. There's just a shit ton of ways that this, I mean, it's just, it's hard to overstate how big this would be. It's hard to over, it really, if it were to, if they were to get injunctive relief where the contracts were two years capped, no extension, it just utterly transforms the industry. Utterly, utterly. So the UFC is still going to be an attractive option for most of these guys, most of the time. I, mean, I don't think that really necessarily changes, but they're going to have to up their pay. And if they're going to up their pay, that means they're going to have to cut a lot of their bloat. If they cut a lot of their bloat, that means cutting a bunch of the Apex shows. It means cutting a bunch of, do they even keep Contender Series? I don't know. I mean, you know, do they keep the Ultimate Fighter? Who the fuck knows? All of that stuff is now in question because if you're, you know, 32 and your contract is now up after two years, and PFL is willing to pay you $5 million and UFC is not, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, you know, this is an easy call to make, I think, in a lot of ways. It would really transform it. So you're thinking about individual names. I don't know how that would go. I really don't. I don't know how that would look. Um, who would stick around? Who wouldn't? What offers they would take? But Sugar Sean's already been like, I want to fight Gervonta Davis. That ain't going to happen as long as UFC's around. But what if he had a two-year deal? So he had this one and all of 2024, he retains his championship. What then now? He could then go and get a Gervonta Davis fight. And Gervonta, I think, would beat him quite badly. But um, whatever, he would make a shit ton of money. He'd make a shit ton of money. What this is going to end up doing is, is for the elite guys, it's going to end up looking like the Canelo or Bud Crawford model, where you fight for two or three times for one guy, and then the promoters just bid for your services with whoever they have in their stable. They sign another fight contract for two or three guys, maybe four guys if it's a two-year deal, something like that. And then they just keep rotating. So that's what you're really going to end up getting. So there's going to be – it's really not going to be like these warehoused, these are Bellator guys, these are PFL guys, these are UFC guys. It's just going to be who rents them 
for a time, which is really the way it should be for independent contractors. That's the way it should be. Um, so who sticks around, who doesn't, you know, I don't know. But what I would say is that over time, if not immediately, but certainly over time, you're just going to get vastly more movement, vastly more movement, unless the UFC really comes up off their pockets and says, well, we're going to put a stop to this. We're just going to pay more than the other guys. And so the reason guys will still sign with him is because at that point they'd be getting much more pay. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing about fighting Francis right now in PFL. Like, they want to pay someone a shit ton of money to fight Francis. They want that. They want to do that. Uh, but they don't have the ability because guys are kept under lock and key. And Derek Lewis had an option, decided to stay with UFC. I'm guessing the UFC gave him a really good deal. Now, was it as much as he would have gotten for the one fight or two fights with PFL if that had been a deal? I don't know. I don't know how the math works out on that. That's really up to Derek and what he wants and, you know, his decision to make. And if he feels comfortable with it, great. But you get the idea here. Like, there would just be massive, massive reshuffling to the point where UFC would still be, I think, the dominant brand in the space and by some distance, but they would be a smaller organization. There would just be a smaller one. It wouldn't be, be the only way they're able to be as big as they are is they can keep so many people under there to make so much content to get so much media rights deals. That's really how it works. But what if you break that up where guys are much more able to move around for the highest bidder and guys will, and then these, these promoters will just get some venture capitalists to throw them $150 million cash infusion, and then you're off to the races. You're going to get a significant amount of movement at that point, you know. But you'll also get a lot fewer situations where someone's at the end of their deal, and it's like, did you make the money you want to make? A lot of times you talk to guys off the record, and they're like, fuck, no, I didn't want to. I cannot tell you how many off-the-record conversations I've had with fighters over the years where I've asked them, did you make the kind of money you want to make? And the answer is almost always no. Almost always. There's been a couple of guys who are like, yeah, I'm pretty satisfied with it, you know. Uh, Glover Teixeira has been on camera and off camera pretty consistent. Like, he's pretty happy with the money he made. I mean, uh, you know, always wanted a little bit more here or there or whatever. But in general, what he wanted out of fighting, he got. And good for him. Like, everyone loves Glover, you know. But, I, I mean, <laughs> I could not tell. Why do these guys keep hanging on? Because they didn't make the money that they wanted to make when they had an opportunity to make it. That's why. Like, not not universally, but that's the biggest reason of anyone I've ever encountered. Uh, let's see. Ooh, here we go. Is this class action lawsuit equally threatening to other MMA orgs who seemingly have similarly restrictive contracts, or do they now stand to benefit a lot from potential consequences for the UFC? So this is a great question. And the reason why it's pretty great is because if the ruling comes down the way in which we expect it to, well, I shouldn't say that. Any judgment that the the could favor the plaintiffs, which is the fighters, over the defendants, the UFC or Zufa, um, if they are granted that the contracts would be limited to two-year runs, that only affects UFC. Bellator, PFL, one, none of these people would be equally restricted. But I think at that point, it becomes a real question of like, what's in your best interest as a fighter or in, in that case, what's in your best interest as a promoter? Now, if UFC actually has to compete like by bidding for a guy's services and they can only offer two-year deals, that's a pretty attractive option. If you can, if the other choice is I have to go fight in tournaments in PFL 
and it's a five-year deal and there's a champion's clause, why the hell would you want to sign that? Why the hell would you want to sign that? Right? Like, I mean, again, some of them might under certain circumstances. Maybe that's a better deal for whoever. But in general, if I'm an elite pay-per-view guy, why would I want to go? I can stay with UFC on two-year terms and re-up those as much as I want as long as I'm winning and they want me. Or I can go and sign this onerous, burdensome contract that, like, sucks ass. You know what I mean? And there's still a bidding process, so I'm still getting paid a decent wage no matter which place I go. Why would you sign with him? So the answer is I think that you'll get if 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 they're granted this kind of relief and if this happens to the UFC, which is all still very big ifs, but if it were to happen, I don't think you would see uh, a complete change in the contracts of the other ones who aren't affected. But just in order to compete with UFC, who's going to be able to pay more, I think, although, you know, Again, there's an, here's the other question. Is UFC going to be able to pay more if they can't fulfill their contract demands and they can't do 40 shows a year anymore? Or you can do 40 shows a year, but you only have like eight fights on a card. You know, uh, Are you still going to be able to get the same kind of media rights deal that you had before? That's a huge question as well. But okay, assuming that they still have the same amount of money, I think the other promoters, in order to compete with UFC, are going to have to change some of the terms of their deal. And also, like, if you're... Let's let's put it out there. Let's say you're Sugar Sean, and again, it's a two fight, two year deal. You're still champion when you retire, or not retire when the contract ends. UFC is not going to want to lose their champion. Number one, that's a big part. And the other part is, um, if you're Sugar Sean, like you know, you can just make them give you a contract that has exactly what's in the UFC's wording. Like you got to match that. I'm not taking any other deal. Now, what that would mean for the rank and file, I don't know. But if you're an elite guy that has now this freedom for the promoters to bid on you and you can get that money. You also have some leverage to demand some contractual terms that like, Hey dude, if the UFC is doing this, you need to as well. It's a question of like, okay, that might affect the top guy. He might have a good deal. How far down the list does that go? That remains to be seen. A lot of this, it's hard to predict, you know, interesting one. Uh, Luke, I'm wondering if you have knowledge on contender series contracts and if there's a non-compete period for the fighters who don't get a contract similar to That's a good question. Um, 12 months still on the sideline if they don't resign. It always seemed weird why Bellator and PFL don't pick up fighters who perform well in contender series but didn't get a contract. The only one I can remember who deviated from this perception is Lachman. So I don't know. It's a good question. I, I Okay, so, uh, I don't know fully. I do know there have been guys who have had developmental deals and then through that developmental deal they went on contender series and then the my understanding was if they got picked up then they just went to ufc if they didn't then they could go back to wherever they were before or some other um whatever you know when you have a developmental deal whatever deal ufc has with a regional promoter to allow this process i have heard of that but i don't know what the standard deal is per um contender series participant the other part too is if you're bellator it's like do you want to pick up somebody who who lost on contender series i mean they do pick up some of them over time but like is that who you're like you're gunning for like i think part of it is that they just lost you know or or you could win but then not get the deal like again it's like if you're a bellator do you want the guys that the ufc just like eh. i mean sometimes you might if they make an error and who they give a contract to and who they don't like brendan lockman which was an egregious case but I don't know about the every single time what's in those deals. I'd, I'd have I've not seen one of those contracts yet. So 
We'll have to see. Ooh, good question. Luke, uh, four of the seven male UFC champions are primarily strikers. Yes. What do you think this tells us about the future of the sport in general and in the future of those divisions? Well, it's super labor-intensive to be a Habib-type grappler. You have to be Habib-level good at it, and you have to. it's a super high work rate. And I won't say it's easy to do what Izzy does. It's not easy to do what Sean uh, O'Malley does. It's far from it. But you can be a specialist in striking. You can get good, not great, but you can get good defensively at everything else. And you can literally win UFC champions at or championships at it. Like, you know, it's just the 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 grappling first style. I think people have really realized it is extremely labor intensive. It's extremely labor intensive. It's a lot of work. It takes so much effort. To do that, like I've told you guys the story, Eddie Alvarez once told me, like, you know, in a 25 minute fight, you can wrestle for 15, but what are you going to do for the other 10? And you can do the first three rounds, you can do one every other round, you can do it. You, you got a solid 15 in you, but you got to figure out what you're going to do with the other 10. I don't think you have to make calculations like that if you're wrestling defensively. I don't, I don't think you have to do that. I don't think you have to do that at all. So uh, I think what you're seeing is that there's a calculation being made there. Here's the other part, too. Like part of the reason Sean O'Malley's takedown defense worked is one, he was able to like stuff it along the fence. And, you know, if it's true, he wasn't able to even grapple the last six weeks before the fire. That's extremely impressive that he won that way. But more to the point, like his ability to slide back on uh, in the middle of an attack and then accurately strike an opponent, um, you know, that is a form of takedown defense, right? Like his ability to move and land where he, they try to cover distance. He recreates it and then has an attack. It's not takedown defense in the way of I'm firing an underhook and cross-facing. No, I'm not doing that. But I'm otherwise maintaining the real estate that is advantageous um, for him in this case. He's, he's maintaining that real estate in a very effective and potent way. And he's using lateral movement, effective striking. I mean, I, I, I didn't see a lot of the breakdowns afterwards, but I'm guessing like, dude, Sean O'Malley's accuracy and his timing is, whoo, it's good. It's good. Very, very good. Very good. I mean, that's, we talk about all the time, guys like the accuracy in boxing. Kel Brook was washed by the time that Bud Crawford fought him. But go look at the punch Bud Crawford landed that set up the beginning of the end. I'm talking about the narrowest, tiniest of windows. And he got one through there. Like, this is not quite that. You had a guy kind of running towards you throwing a big punch. But like Sean O'Malley, dude, he will absolutely eat you alive for shit like that. So, so and, and also, think about it. Not just is he recreating distance by moving backwards, but he's making, like, Aljo was hesitant, understandably. Understandably very hesitant to do that kind of a thing. You, you cannot just walk into Sean O'Malley. So there's this, like, range of protection. It's a, you know, you have to be good at striking. You have to have, like, like Izzy, you have to have good accuracy. You have to have good timing. You know, there's a lot of things that have to go right for you there. But it's not labor-intensive, and... It has the the ones who are as good as these guys are the 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 champ. You talk about champions, the ones who are as good as they are. They're good at maintaining the distance through their striking, through their footwork, through their lateral movement, and so the combination of that plus the actual grappling component of takedown defense, 
you know, if you're a good striker, dude, that's a great way to fight. It's a great way to fight. So I can understand why that happens. Everyone's like, oh, the fight start on the feet. Yes, of course, that's a component. They often get restarted on the feet. That's a component. You know, yes, these are all components. But to me, the biggest one is you're getting guys now who are just very, very, very good at either defensively maintaining distance or offensively establishing distance and eating guys alive for it. And then they have good enough takedown defense because by the time Aljo got to him, you know, it wasn't like a great setup. It wasn't like, oh, I'm like super well-timed. You know, a lot of them where he kind of had to work his way into it a little bit and there wasn't just, there wasn't much for it. So it has all of these cascading and additional features that the very, very best guys are able to take advantage of. I, you know, can, again, that's that's the elite. Can the rank and file follow suit? Obviously not. So takedown defense is still going to be radically important, but there's going to be a certain kind of striker who's got great timing, great precision, great accuracy that's going to make opponents hesitant and if they can combine that with good takedown defense not great but good takedown defense along the fence line or wherever else they're going to be tough to beat they're going to be tough to beat <coughs> oh here we go fuck it here we go i think uh there's a question about aljo moving to 145 i think everyone would like to hear your reaction to 292 and what you think of hold the future holds for sean o'malley it's a great question. Dude, I thought Aljo was going to win, to be honest with you. I thought Aljo was going to be able to get him down um, because Jan was, basically. I thought I thought Aljo was going to be able to and get him down, and uh, no, not at all. Um, you know, it's funny. I asked Chito Vera. I asked him, grade Sean O'Malley's performance. He was like, he was against um, Aljamain. He was like, he was good. It was good. He was like, you know, but you can't just run into a guy like that. And he's right. You can't. You can't. You can't kind of throw a big one where, you know, in, again, in in striking sports where overcommitment is much more heavily punished, you begin to get a keen sense of this. Dude, you just can't throw a big punch like that in boxing running into a guy for a world title and expect to, to you know – like what happened to Aljo is what would happen to anyone in that sport. Like you just, you can't do that. You can't do it. You're going to get eaten alive for it. Um, but I, I didn't think he was going to do that necessarily. And he did. Um, man, I think Sean O'Malley is, is I have so much respect for his game. Like his game is exciting. You know, listen, I'm old and 44. No one gives a shit about my opinions on what's cooler and what's not. Not even me. I don't even, I just like what I like at this point. I leave it alone. So I don't get quite, and you know me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm inked up. I like the tattoos. I don't quite get the face tattoos, but it doesn't matter what I get. I don't quite get the pink hair, but it doesn't matter what I, it doesn't like none of that is, is relevant. The question is, what do the audiences respond to? They respond to him. They respond to him. They respond to the way he carries himself. They respond to, I think his youthful kind of representation of his generation you know and uh on top of it we just sort of broke down the style a little bit about how he fights this accurate pinpoint great timing great feints great accuracy you know and then the rest of the game is is pretty good as well but like that 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 the a part of his game is just dynamic it's super fucking dynamic and frankly mma needs more guys like that pinpoint strikers dude mma like so i cannot I will confess something to you. Bud Crawford has, I won't say ruined MMA for me because that's not true, it, it, but he has, I've not been the same since that fight. I've not since the fight against Errol Spence. 
when you go and you just watch how careful everything is done and how pinpoint it is, and then you watch MMA striking, MMA striking, for the most part, is nothing like that. It's just a lot of bludgeoning. It's a lot of luck. It's a lot of guys who make terrible errors. I mean, oh, my God. The amount of footwork errors, the amount of positioning errors, the amount of shot selection errors, even at the elite level, is fucking high. It's high. You cannot believe it. And, of course, why wouldn't it be? You're trying to learn how to strike. You're trying to learn how to fight in the clinch. You're trying to learn how to do jiu-jitsu. You're trying to learn how to wrestle. You have to keep your weight down. You have to do media. Like, dude, it's like, I mean, it's how much shit can be packed into one day, even for someone where that's all that they do. It's very, very difficult to get good at any one thing doing all of that. So to me, it's actually like, you know, seeing where MMA striking has gone from to where it is today, it has massively improved. And I'm really happy about it. And of course, please don't misunderstand me. I love MMA. But like, the level of danger that people people don't understand like when you make the argument about like why boxing's great and you're arguing like oh you know the level of detail is so much more refined people don't appreciate what that means that means fucking danger that's what that means it means fucking danger and you know if you're not watching boxing regularly you're like oh boxing's boring okay i mean you know the average boxing bout you know just doesn't have the same level of volatility that an average mma bout does that's very true but if you're watching elite boxing the specificity isn't just some artistic thing to, you know, about. It's not, it's not what it is. It means danger. It means KOs. It means getting absolutely lit on fire. That's what it means. Especially for a guy like Bud Crawford. That's what that means. Like that the like what kind of error are you allowed to commit in a in a, against a but who might be the best in the game against but like okay or Noya in a way what level of error are you allowed to commit against a guy like that fucking almost zero because anything you do they're going to annihilate you for it that's what i'm talking about and sean o'malley i'm not comparing him to Noya in a way or bud crawford but what i am saying is in the spirit of having real pinpoint timing accuracy He's got, because he's got fast hands or some pop behind it, that's the danger I'm talking about. MMA needs more of that. Guys who are like the margin of fucking error on him, you know, you just, you don't get, you don't get one. You don't get one. That's what I love. You know, that's why I'm like Sean O'Malley's game. I, I love it. I love his game, you know, and I love it. My favorite kind of fighters in MMA have always been the more grappling based ones. Like Habib still might be my favorite UFC fighter of all time. Just in terms of BJ Penn for a while was too. You know, kind of the grappling based guys who do heavy ground and pound. That's always been kind of the guy that I liked for a long time. But I'm telling you, it has Bud Crawford, like, dude, he changed me. It sounds overly dramatic. I'm, it's, I, I, have had, I have had a long conversation about this very topic with BC. Like people are like, oh, you were so emotional on the night. Yeah, dude, I was. I was. Like something happened to me that night as a fight fan. Something, something switched where I, I, I got a great appreciation. Those fine details with the right operator, they mean fucking danger. So, you know, I thought what Sean O'Malley did was not just – uh, remarkable, I mean, the won a world title over a very, very tough competitor in Aljamain Sterling, but the kind of threat that he represents, I think MMA needs more of that, more guys who can do that kind of thing. I love that shit. I love it. I absolutely love it. And he was tremendous at it. All right. If we got some paid questions, oh, well, here, hold on one more. Uh, do you think Aljo's handle will be forced to move to 145? 
Yes, I do. I do. Um, I don't know what the UFC is going to do. Are they really going to give Sterling a, a, a rematch? They might. They might. I don't think they will. I think they're going to give Cheeto the next fight, and then we'll go from there. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. All right. Let's see what we got here. By the way, you don't have to, but if you want to, that's great. Okay? All right. Luke, what are the chances O'Malley avoids Marab and Corey and gets that cheat? How would he be avoiding them if those fuckers can't fight? I guess Marab could fight. Um, or is he injured too? Didn't he just have surgery of some kind? My understanding is if they're going to fight in December, isn't... Okay, so for Corey definitely isn't available in... December. I guess I'm not clear about Marab's timeline. I, I, there's a few things I haven't picked up on since vacation. But the Cheeto rematch kind of sells itself. And honestly, dude, Cheeto's a tough fight for Sean O'Malley. Cheeto's a tough fight. Styles make fights big time. Cheeto's a dude. Cheeto doesn't mind high guarding here or even doing high horns here, uh, in the words of Coach Barry Robinson, having a high guard either way and then just walking into you, bro. He, I, I, in my interview with him today, he was like, I'll walk guys down. No, like, that's the easiest part of fighting. But he's like, I also want to show people that I can bring them to me and I can turn and do those other things. But walking a guy down, dude, how Chito Vera has maybe the best chin in MMA and he has maybe the most physical durability of anyone in the bantamweight division, maybe in the UFC, maybe in all of MMA too. I mean, the guy is stupid durable. You just can't believe how durable he is. That's a tough fight for Sean O'Malley. Not because like he one's durable and one's not, but because He's going to build up over time. He's going to not open up too too much early, and he's going to eventually land. He's going to check something. He's going to eventually start to put it on Sean as time goes on. So the question is, like, what kind of lead can Sean maintain? Or you know, I guess maybe Sean might be even better. But, you know, a tough guy who's right in your face, who can counter carefully and slowly, who's super durable, that's a tough fight for Sean O'Malley. It's not like well, Corey didn't do that. Corey took him down, right? Corey took him down. Is O'Malley going to take him down? I don't think so. Um, so we'll see. Uh, good to see fellow South Asians going. <laughs> so funny. All jokes aside, I've been there for more than five. Hey, well, thank you, Indian dude. I appreciate it. Uh, also stumbled across Korean Zombies YouTube channel. The guy is getting more than a million views per video. Jesus. At least when he hangs it up, he might have a lucrative media career. I certainly hope. That's great to hear. I had no idea. I had no idea. How do you rate Tim Welch among the top coaches in the world? His and Sean's game plan for Aljo was picture perfect. Yeah. I mean, in order to really answer that question, you have to be in the gym and be able to watch them. But, you know, I don't think Sean's success is in any way accidental. And that's obviously a testament to everything Sean himself has done. But it, like, here's what I would say. Like some of the best coaches, you know, people think that the best coach is the guy who can coach anybody. Right? The guy who I can take this guy, like Greg Jackson in his prime. Like I can take this guy, this guy, this guy I can make them all champions. Okay, that's a great coach for sure. But honestly, if you're asking who's a great coach or how would you rate Tim Tim's ability, you're asking him. You're asking me to say um, the dynamics of their personality, the dynamics of their relationship. Does that meaningfully boost Sean's fortunes? And not just that. Does it? Does like Tim have an understanding of what really makes Sean work? What really he's good at since he's been there all that time? Like Tim's got a wealth of understanding and knowledge about Sean that I could do all the tape study in the world and I'll just never have it. I'll just never have it. So to really answer the question, you do need to be there to evaluate it, and I simply cannot. 
But I don't think that Sean's success is accidental. I do think Tim's got a good eye for what he's looking for. And I think he really understands Sean. And I think that relationship thrives because there's such a clear understanding of who he is, what makes him tick, what works, what does it. And then, of course, diagnosing the opponent. But, like, you know, I, Tim has a profound understanding of what makes Sean successful, it seems like. Thoughts on Shavkat calling out MVP. That's a bad fight for MVP. It's a bad fight. Um, this person says, I'm 28, freelance GD for eight years and might pivot into nursing. Okay, no stability, no benefits, insurance, etc. in the current path, and I'm so tired. Does it get any easier if you stick with the solo path? Well, it should to some degree. Um... Oh, graphic design. Okay, so 28 years old freelance graphic design for eight years. Might pivot into nursing. No stability and no benefits. Insurance, current path, and I'm so tired. Well, listen. Um, 28 is still quite young. Still quite young. So I don't know that you have to look at that and say, does it get any easier? But I do think you need to meaningfully get to a point where you can create stability and peace of mind. And, you know, if I was... It's easy. I don't know how to make this calculation for you. It's always, there's no real easy answer to any of these things. But I would say that if you're looking at 28 and you're saying, oh, well, I'm up against it, that's not quite correct. But if you're feeling fatigued to the point you just don't even know or you don't have a meaningful plan to get to stability, if everything you're trying doesn't lead to stability, then you probably have some questions to ask yourself, some real ones. You need to have a plan that gets you to a place where you don't feel like this because, no, you can't operate like that forever. Um, so don't look at 28 as some kind of like, oh my God, I'm up against it. You're not. But if you don't have a real plan that you can execute in the next, let's say four years that really meaningfully turns the tide, just, just working a lot without a direct purposeful plan, like, okay, how do I get insurance? How do I get enough money where I can save X amount, where I can do all these things that I want to do? If you don't really have a plan to scale up that way and you're not reaching it, then you do have some questions to ask yourself. But uh, I think a lot of people find out that they just work hard and they're like, oh, well, if I just work hard, that will take care of the problem. No, not really. Hard work is a key ingredient in success, but hard work alone doesn't do much for you. It has to be purposeful hard work. It has to be thoughtful hard work. Izzy grew up wealthy, having servants wealthy. How did Izzy's family make all that wealth in Africa? Maybe exploit it. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Just like speculating on how someone got wealthy and like whether or not there were labor issues with that. I mean, you know, I appreciate the donation, but like you can you can save that next time. Thank you. Uh, Caleb, all right. Thank you, my friend. Uh, look back at the Joshua Fabi era. How do you feel about it all now? What kinds of feelings do you have about your interview with him? My interview with him, I feel great about it, actually. My whole point about that interview was just I'm going to let him – hang himself that was my whole point my point was i was going to challenge him somewhat but i knew that the more he talked the more it would be really bad for him so i was just going to let him talk i was just going to let him talk and i did and it worked out and uh here's what i think you know people make this about diego and i think it's a little bit unfair i would actually say that there's a lot of people in this industry not just fighters there's a lot of people in this industry who just are under the thumb of charlatans. Like even Dana White with this guy, this 10X guy, whatever his name is, Gary is something, whatever whatever his name is. I mean, this guy is a, 
you know, I'll, I would be careful about what I say, but um, to my knowledge from actual experts in the field, what he offers, as I understand it, uh, is totally unscientific nonsense. Like there's just nothing in there at all that's based in science. That isn't to say that if you use him that in certain ways you couldn't get more immediate or better health outcomes, but that doesn't also mean that the the way in which he is prescribing things and coming up with a plan is rooted in deep evidentiary knowledge. So like to me, the bigger problem is that there is just room for charlatans in MMA by virtue of people not having a clearer sense of what expertise looks like in the world and then attaching yourself to it. And that's not just a problem in MMA, but it's like hyper, um, it's, it's particularly pronounced in MMA. It's particularly pronounced. Like you, Blaine. Uh, this person writes, I heard the clause that gave UFC, quote, potential cut to any business fighters contract was taken from WWE. There's an obvious difference between the work product and between these two. Um, I, I'm going to, like, be hesitant to comment on that because my understanding is the language there, uh, it's not definitive that it's a that if a lawyer looked at it and was asked, what does this mean? And you asked five different lawyers, potentially you could get five different interpretations. So the idea is that it could be that there is a, there is a way to legally look at it as that, but it's not so clear that it's like, Hey, if Sean opens up a dispensary, we get 10%. That's not, that's not how that works at all. So in the interest of caution and the interest of being a little bit more careful, I would say, Let's just see if that clause is enacted and then if it is what it looks like, because it may not mean uh, in terms of actual practicality uh, what some legal interpretations think that it means. In your opinion, what are the best methods for reversing negative habits, recurring behaviors? You can run, but you can't hide from your problems. Jesus. I mean, if I had the answer to that guy, I'd have my shit figured out a long time ago. Um, let me pull it up one more time. Best methods for reversing negative habits and recurring behaviors. Jesus Christ, these are difficult questions, man. Um, I'm trying to think about anything I've ever fixed that was wrong with me. Candidly, I think most things that I have fixed, I have, you know, you it's like anything else, right? You have to do the individual work yourself. But I've always relied on outside help, to be quite honest with you, whether it was mental help, seeing a mental health professional, like, are you going to get good at jujitsu by yourself? No, you have to go and find a community. I mean, that's not a negative situation. I'm just sort of like, if you're trying to undo a bad habit, there has to be a recognition about the bad habit. And then you need a plan to like figure out how you overcome this. Typically, you need somebody who has an understanding in that space to do it. Um, so I think there, there's a certain level of recognition about what the problem is and what that problem is then causing you in your life. But candidly, like, I'm just trying to understand who that might be. People think you can beat things on your own. You are the only one who can do the work. That is true. But what is the work? What is the valuable use of your time to find the path that meaningfully gets you there? Um, I have always leaned on others. Uh, you have to lean on, it's, it's, it sounds weird, like the other one's doing the work for me. That's not what I mean. Like there's a certain level of ingenuity and there's a certain level of um, self-awareness and, and, and absolutely a level of commitment to uh better habits but i think you need to find people who can help you um properly diagnose what's wrong 
and then properly diagnose a plan to get you out of that. And then I think only when you've really been able to walk that those steps in that way are you able to do it. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to stop drinking and I'll stop drinking. And some people can do that. They can just quit cold turkey. God bless them, dude. God bless them. I quit smoking mostly that way. I know I vape for a little while. I haven't vaped in a long time. I can't remember the last time I vaped. Um, so, you know, I, I've kind of fallen in and out with that. But I remember when I quit smoking, I was I was just done. I was just completely done. I didn't, I, like, I the idea was, like, repulsive to me. And I was able to quit. But, like, for for things like drinking, it took a long time. And I had to kind of have, you know, um, I didn't go to like a drug counselor, but I had to talk to some folks who were uh, knowledgeable about some of those things. And to, you know, I didn't come up with a plan so much as um, a perspective. But nevertheless, seeking outside counsel, seeking outside professional assistance, professional help, um, wise uh, outside assistance, I really feel like you have to find someone who can help you diagnose A, what's wrong, B, how you got there, um, see how it manifests itself in you in all the different ways, because there could be a problem that has like tentacles in a bunch of different directions, and then how you undo that. Some people can do that by sheer force of mental will. God bless them, but that's not most people. Um, and also, this is a very complicated answer for like on the fly. I don't have a great answer for that. All right. Luke, would you take the over or under on Sean defending the title two times? It's a great question. Um, man, bantamweight's tough. Bantamweight's tough. So to take the over, it would have to be three, right? I'll take the under. But I might take that for anybody. That's not an indictment on Sean. That's like, who would you pick to get three title defenses right now at Bantamweight? Maybe Umar, but like, that's still very speculative, right? Hate to say it, but I don't watch MK without you. I understand. But do you guys notice stuff like that in the metrics? Yeah, of course. No shade to BC, but to me, okay. Well, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, for sure. Like, well, we won't have any more of those like, He's off for two weeks, then I'm off for two weeks. We're not going to do that anymore. That's just not going to happen. Uh, hey, Luke, I just got back from my wedding honeymoon in Alaska. What's up, bro? And I was, uh, it was the most rewarding trip of my life. Awesome. What are some of the most underrated cities and states that you would recommend? Great question. Dude, I think New Orleans is one of America's great treasures. I really believe that. I fucking love New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans has such an interesting culture. Someone once said this to me about New Orleans, that it's the... Um, you know, because it's associated with French. Like, uh, what's the French term for let the good times roll? Les bon, or whatever the whatever the French is, I'm going to butcher it. But they have this, they, you see it everywhere. And, uh, you know, beignets and stuff like that. But someone made a point to me, if you look at the architecture in New Orleans, it's the northernmost uh, Latin American city in the country. Or, uh, just, sorry, the northernmost, uh, yes, northernmost Latin American city. Because it has all of this kind of architectural uh, influence, Spanish influence that you can see there as well. But it's more than just that. Of course, you got this, this all this different, these different, um, you know, to borrow the term melting pot, which I guess is now a bad term if you're right wing. <laughs> I didn't know. But like one of the best things about like New Orleans, you guys ever had Yakamane? Yakamane is the shit. You want to talk about hangover food? It's a mat, it's a mix between like Chinese lo mein, like takeout almost 
with like they put like they'll put like a like an egg in it and it's what's more of a soup oh my god dude yakame it's a it's a new orleans thing it's a new orleans thing so between this architecture and then this culture and then this mix dude it's this completely unique thing that you just can't get like where else are you going to go you go to other parts of louisiana that are like either creole or cajun you can get a little bit of the flair you can go to baton rouge you can get a little bit of the flair but you can't get new orleans dude. you just can't get any other place dude you can go to orlando yeah they've got epcot and shit but forget all that like orlando proper where can you get that any other fucking place in the country there's nothing special about orlando in that way I'm not saying it's a bad city but it's not like a highly unique one um it, that, that i i can't say enough good things about new orleans and i remember after katrina there were people being like we should just leave new orleans and let it die bitch are you out of your mind no, that place is a treasure, and we're going to keep it alive as long as we can. Maybe that's not forever. Nothing really is on this earth, but no, just no, absolutely not. Um, I've never seen the Pacific Northwest. I've been all over the country. I've never seen Seattle. I've heard good things. I've never seen Oregon. I've heard good things, which uh, Portland, I don't know, but I hear good things. Although, you know, they've got their own homeless issues there well as well. But um, what else do I like? It was the question again, cities, cities or states? Um Dude, Arizona's got some of the best uh, terrain uh, to visit in the world. I mean, if you've never seen, I mean, uh, well, you know, obviously it stretches through different parts. You can go to Flagstaff. That's not necessarily all the same location, but um, I I'll say this. I'll back up off Arizona because obviously it spans more than just that. Any of the mountain ranges, so like the Eastern Mountain Range, the Appalachian Mountain Range, you get the Rocky Mountain Range, and then on, on, on top of that, which of course goes into Colorado and everything else, but uh, the Grand Canyon. I mean, if you've never seen the Grand Canyon, but getting back to Arizona, the Sedona side of of Arizona, dude, these are just breathtaking places. Truly breathtaking. In fact, I get in fights with my wife all the time because she's always like, hey, you know, we, we should, I don't want to travel in the States. I want to go to Latin America. And you know, I know you might say, oh, that's really expensive. You're paying more. It's actually not. It's actually either the same or cheaper for me to go to Latin America um, than it is for me to go to the parts of the states because America is expensive relative to Latin America. So that's part of the reason why we always go. I was in Colombia the last week and a half or so. It's it's like once you get there, I, I just can't overstate like the dollar is king. I can do just about anything I want to do when I go down there. Although I will say, the last time I went down there, just past time we were before we were when we were looking up places to stay, we we're like, what's the nicest hotel like, you know, in some of these cities? Holy shit, dude, we found rooms for like. And we can't, obviously, I can't even begin to afford this. But, like, you know, we found rooms for, like, oh, $1,700 a night. There was one house for rent in downtown Cartagena that was 6000 a night. I was like, <laughs> like, dude, who the fuck is paying for this? Who who are the people? I mean, it must be the, the ultra elite rich of South America who can afford this. But, okay, either way. Um, but I always try to tell her, like, there's so many beautiful parts. I mean, I hear, Mon I've never been to Montana. I hear Montana is out of control but you know personally i love colorado i love denver um i i love I, I the skiing in utah dude utah is beautiful beautiful country i hear maine i i don't do a lot of work up there in maine but you know maine's amazing but i'll say it one more time dude new york city is the greatest city in the world and i've been i've been to paris right been to tokyo i've been to london don't get me wrong dude these you can't these are these are world-class cities in every sense of the world. Do not one of them is New York. New York is the greatest city in the world, period. I don't give a shit what anybody says. Um, there's nothing in the world like New York City. It's the greatest city in the world. And I've, I've seen some great ones. Luke, however much you're able, can you speak a bit more on not staying in the best? Find it difficult to get in a bad rut than I'm in. Well, 
I've got a little bit of practice in dealing with um, my situation where I'm able to kind of put myself in a position, as I mentioned, where if I'm in a bad place, um, you know, how do I get out of it? The first thing you have to realize is for, and this is only working for me. Again, you should probably talk to a professional, not me, but you should talk to a professional. But for me, because I've had practice at this, right? And that's other part of it too. You know, if, you've, if you're prone to these kinds of issues, getting practice at working through them, um, you have to realize that on some level, you might be catastrophizing in your own mind. Like how much of what you're really telling yourself is true. Probably not, some of it is probably true, but probably not all of it. But the reality is just this. You don't want to feel that way forever. You don't want to feel that way anymore. And what you have to do, what I do is I get up. I, I literally did this. I literally did this. I get up and I begin to take notes on what's bothering me and what I can meaningfully do to fix it. And of course, some of those problems are you can't just fix with a phone call. You can't fix with an email. You can't fix with a tweet. You can't do that. But what you can do is uh, you can begin to make a plan, make a list of what's bothering you, and then put in place uh, that action into that plan that you believe is going to get you to a better spot and you simply start executing on it. And I will tell you, um, even if it is just an email, even if it is just a phone call, even if it is just a whatever, uh, even that can begin to, <sighs> okay, I feel a little bit better. I can be a little bit more clear-eyed about it. And you begin to really work it. Now, again, any real problem takes real time to fix. But the point I wanted to just really drive home is, you cannot lay and wallow in the catastrophe of what your mind is telling you is happening. What you really have to do is realize that any solution that you're going to come up with, any good thing that's going to happen to you, it won't happen here. It won't happen here. So it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be there. It's okay to have experienced that. That's life. You saw me live through it. You literally saw me do it the last time I was here. That's life. You can't avoid it. But if you're really interested in solving the problem, you've got to take a deep breath. You've got to put, write down everything that's bothering you. Again, this works for me. You might have a different process. But I write down everything that's bothering me, and I begin to put in place what would make me feel better about this. What would make this problem go away, right? And solutions make the loudness in your mind a lot quieter. Putting into place even small steps day after day it begins to quiet the loudness in your mind about how bad everything feels. Um, clearly, if you're having mental health problems, you need to talk to a mental health professional. If you're having medical problems, you need to talk to a medical professional. I'm just telling you, as someone who has worked through these issues before, this is a process that through consultation with other professionals, I've come up with. And more often than not, it has, at a bare minimum, given me enough grace where I can get a good night's sleep. That's the other part too, of course, making sure you're getting sleeping, making sure you're having a routine, making sure you're showering every day, you know, making sure you're making social connections, like all of those things matter as well. But um, you just have to come to terms with the fact that it's okay to feel bad, but in the place where you are, where you're feeling bad, you, you cannot, that's not a, that's not a state of um, fixing things. That's not a state of, uh, that's not going to get you to the next place. A plan, an actionable plan, uh, a routine, an actionable routine, and a smart one, not just any old one, but a smart one. That will. That will. 
Uh, Marab talked about 125 before. Should he just go there? Yeah, yeah. If he's gonna, if he's gonna, if it's just gonna be an issue of, you know, I'm just gonna wait for Alger to do his thing, and I might lose all this time. Then yes, the answer is yes. Uh, Sean teased going to 125 to fight. You mean 145 to fight Alex? How does that fight go in your eyes? Um, still would favor Alex. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, El Chivito. <laughs> Um, welcome back. Your channel post on Monday. What would this channel be for you? Ideally, seems channels stressful beyond live chats. Interrupting, disappointed with the call. It's just a function. I, I kind of went over this at the top. I don't have more to add. I appreciate the donation. I would just love to be able to routinely have content two to three times a week, independent of the live chat, for breakdowns. It's really what I want. And it, one thing that Othello and I tried to get going, we just didn't, it just didn't work. It was, it was my fault more than anybody else's. We need a studio. Uh, I have a room here that I can move everything around, but it takes so much fucking time to move everything. Uh, I need a studio space, but dude, rent in DC is fucking expensive. It's not easy. So that's really the big one. If I had, if I had studio space that was near my house, that was affordable, or like, or like another studio in the house where I could make video and I could just leave it and then turn on the camera, turn on the lights, and it's ready to go. Man, that would be big. That would be big. That would really make a difference. So it's like workflow issues. But like, you know, dude, rent in D.C. is <laughs> it's crazy expensive. It's crazy expensive. So uh, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Brian says, Luke, what kind of consequences would follow a death of a fighter in the Oxygon? What do you think the probability of that actually happening is? It's not zero, right? It's not zero. I would say that the answer is, if this had been 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it might be existential. I don't think it would be that bad anymore. Now, obviously, a death would be profoundly tragic, but I don't think it'd be a death. And you asked about the Octagon. Harder to say with the other promotions. But I remember like guys dying in the aughts. Um, in amateur contests, there was an amateur fighter who died in South Carolina. There was a pro fighter who died in a regional show. I think his name was Sammy Vasquez. I think that was his name. He was 35 years of age. He died in Texas. So we've actually lived through it on smaller shows, and it was a you know a regional story, but not a not a national scandal. If it were to happen in the UFC, obviously it's a little bit different. Um, but I think that the level of screening that they go through, the level of now USADA being there again, I don't think that that really makes it any safer, but. In terms of um, what the UFC can reasonably claim that they do in terms of their due diligence, it gives them a high degree of pre-fight due diligence. You remember they, they, who was the recent guy they got they discovered who had the brain issue, right? That they only caught on uh, through MRIs or whatever it was. It was a CAT scan or whatever. They, they before he even fought, and he had this issue where if he had fought, it could have been like deadly for him. They caught it because of the pre-fight screening, like the U UFC, like. You know, they do a good job of weeding out most of the problems that could be uh, happening to them by virtue of effective pre-fight screens. So I don't think it'd be existential. It'd be bad, but not existential. Let's say the UFC did have to change their contracts. What if they play the game where they let the comp competition sign bigger names and bankrupt them? None of the competition has ever been profitable. They would be much more profitable if they had access to the pay-per-view talent. That's the difference. They let the guys go who can't do that much for them. But if you can get access to Connor or Nate Diaz, again, this is 10 years ago, right? 2016. 2016, Connor. 2016, Nate Diaz. 2017, Connor. 2017, Nate Diaz. Like, what could you do then? But yes, some guys will overpay. 
Uh, Edwin writes, hey, Luke, I just found out I'm going to be a father. Hey, congrats. I'm 37 and uh, with a great person. I'm feeling everything I want from fear to excitement. Could you give me any advice, recommendations, or books I should read? The only book I will tell you to read that is value to you, of, of value to you, I'll pull it up here. Let me show you. For any would-be father or mother, I don't want to imagine there's many mothers watching this, or would-be. Um, let me show you. Here we go. This book. 12 Hours Sleep by 12 Weeks Old, a step-by-step -step plan for baby sleep success. Get this book. Everyone and their brother is going to be like, I've got this book. It's going to work. Their books are shit. That's the only one that's good. That's the only thing I can confidently say. Get that book. Everything else, dude. Listen, here's the only thing about parenting I can tell you, and I'm still trying to figure it all out. I saw someone say this because like we talked, I missed this whole conversation around hitting kids with this Ian Gary and, and Neil Magny thing. Like obviously hitting your kids is a remarkably bad idea. I mean, the, 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 the amount of evidence that exists that striking your children or disciplining them with hitting is doesn't work and only creates problems for them as people is so like enormous. Like the there's, it's not ambiguous research at all. It is all very clear. And, and more to that point, people are like, I'm okay. I got hit. Dude, you, let me explain something to you. If you got hit as a kid and you think you're all right, it's only because you haven't done enough self-reflection, period. Yes, of course, there are some people who get hit and they're fine. All right, all right. But in general, if you got hit and you feel like you're fine, it's only because you're not, you're not, your level of self-diagnosis is poor. You have some other kind of malady that has happened to you. You just think is your personality or something. Um, but okay, neither here nor there. Um, parenting is hard and it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. That's why like hitting your kids is easy. Oh, let me hit this motherfucker and he'll stop. Right. Oh, that, that, that works, but that's easy. That's lazy. It's lazy. Um, trying to work with your kids as people and trying to do that job as a parent, that part is hard. That part is hard. So you should expect it to be hard, but what you can do is you can get your kid on a path to success for sleep early which will help you get the sleep you need to make better decisions. And then you'll just figure it out as it goes, man. That's what we're all really doing. No one really has the secret to success, but don't hit your kids. Make sure they get plenty of sleep. And if you feel like disciplining them or corralling them, or all these decisions are difficult. It's because it's supposed to be. Being a good parent, being a bad parent is fucking easy. Super easy. You just don't do shit or you do shit the wrong way. Being a good parent is hard. It's very, very difficult. And that's okay. With the U.S. women's national team losing, I'd love to hear your take on them leeching half of the U.S. men's national team money when they bring in a quarter of the revenue as the men. I'm not totally um, familiar with the economics of the team. Uh, I mean, they're vastly more successful than the men. I can tell you that. Also, you know, I don't really take seriously a lot of the complaints about the U.S. women's national team because most of them are just veiled political jabs like people don't like their views and so or or something i guess and so they or they don't like megan rapino or whoever and so they use that to be like oh well everything else about them is awful i mean dude the women's game is behind the men's game about that there can be no doubt in terms of like it's popular appeal guys it's gaining on them it's gaining on them um 
the women's game is growing rapidly, rapidly. And I think that, you know, the more they get provided infrastructure, the more they get, the more they get provided support, the more they get provided uh, opportunity, the more that game continues to grow. It's not backsliding. It's only growing. So, you know, if you've got some ax to grind with Megan Rapinoe's political opinions, go grind them. Like, I'm not here to defend her or not. I don't care. But I'm not here to slander the women's team as leeches when the women's game in this country, even though it's advanced relative to many other countries, is just not given the same level of infrastructural support that it, I think, is required. Um, I mean, in Spain, we're not in Spain, but in Spain, um, you know, they're federation treats them like absolute shit and they still were able to win despite that and that game is growing rapidly there they've had sixty thousand people show up for one of their games if you can believe that i think that was actually on the on the club side not the national side but you know i mean if you got an axe to grind with megan rapino's political views take it up with her bro but like i'm not here to shit on the women's game or think that they're not entitled to things even if i grant they're not as popular do I think that they can be? I absolutely think that they can be. <clears throat> There's been chatter on Reddit that MK is coming to an end with Showtime. Is there any truth to this? And will UNBC take MK somewhere else? Well, obviously, I can't really tell you what the fuck Showtime is going to do or not do. Um, I'll tell you this. Do I know that MK is coming to an end? No, I do not. No, I do not. Um, you know, but I mean, dude, they could pull the plug on anything that they want on soccer, on MMA, on football, on whatever at any point in time. But um, I just got my contract, not the entirety of it, but I had a renewal period of my contract that was just exercised, um, recently. So I'll be around, we'll be around for a little while longer at a bare minimum. I can tell you that I, I, I certainly have no plans for, um, for anything to happen, but you know, we're living in an uncertain time of media and entertainment and everything like, I just can't predict the future for anything. You know what I mean? Like for, for again, for soccer for this podcast, for that show, for that person. It's just, it's insanely, it's insanely uh, chaotic right now. And that's just the reality for everybody, not just us. So like in that environment, what would anybody declare to you? Right now, it's full steam ahead. We're going to go in studio next week. You know what I mean? It's full steam ahead. It's just, we're living in a very tumultuous time. And I think that that's, that's just the reality of where we're at right now. Is there a fighter you feel like you should dislike more? There's plenty of them I dislike. <laughs> There's plenty of them. But I usually just keep it to myself. Don't have much to give. You don't have to give anything, bro. But hope vacay was good. It was. Thank you. Appreciate you. And while I know things are hard, I think you should be really proud of your career. Thanks, dude. I'm proud of certain parts of it. Definitely. Definitely proud of certain parts. But, you know. Uh, other than sports, uh, okay. I mean, not everyone likes my thoughts on politics. Thoughts on Vivek Ramaswamy running for president? I don't know, dude. Every time he talks, I always feel like I'm going to go outside and there's going to be a used car parked in front, you know? I don't know. I didn't watch the debates last night. I'm not... I'm so checked out from that shit right now, to be to be candid with you. I, You know, obviously he's a bright guy, but um, I didn't watch the debates... He he had that one stupid ass thing like we should we should arm everyone in Taiwan, you know, to prevent a Chinese invasion. It's like uh, I don't I don't I don't think you thought that one through. Uh, Luke, I can't entirely agree with most of your political and social opinions. Okay, that's fine. 
but I love your MMA content. We'll watch whatever you produce. Say hi to your beautiful daughter. Well, thank you, Kim Kem- Yar. Is that you say it? Kim Yar? I don't know. Hey, man, we're not all going to agree. You know what I'm saying? We're not all going to agree. But if we can find places to agree, cool. Cool. I'm glad you stuck around. I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate it. I want to see more one-style mixed rules fights. I like that. Much fairer for cross-sport matchups. Tank versus Sean, six rounds, one, three, five, boxing, two, four, six, eight, K boxing. I mean, Tank would never do it, but I love the idea. I love the idea. What did I think of Oppenheimer? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I bought tickets and everything to go on whatever it was. It was a Saturday or Sunday. And uh, the people I was going to go with were like, we don't want to go anymore. I'm like, but I have the tickets to go. And they're like, it's three hours. We're not going to sit there for three hours. And I'm like, so I still haven't seen it. I still haven't fucking seen Oppenheimer. I'm going to have to wait till the shit's on home video. So that sucks. I did see, um, I did see the Guardians of the Galaxy, the third one, and I loved it. I know some people hated it. I loved it. I, lo- I loved it a lot. I was sad about it. It was kind of heavy, but I loved it. Uh, what else did I see? Obviously, any kind of cartoon I've seen because of my wife. Um, what else? Oh, I saw they. Uh, I saw. Um, they clone Tyrone, which I guess people are bitter about. They called it like woke horror. I mean, you know, I guess if you want to get mad about it, you can. I didn't really see it that way. I'll just say, I'll just say this. It's on Netflix. I didn't hear much talk about it. Um, and the only reason I saw it was because it had like really good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And then Jamie Foxx is in it. I like Jamie Foxx. I saw it. Dude, Jamie Foxx kills in that movie. But that dude, John, is his name John Boyega? Uh, the guy who was uh, Finn in Star Wars? Holy shit, he's good. And there, the woman who plays the the prostitute uh, in the movie, I forget her name. I don't know her name. I think her last name is Paris. Dude, the acting alone in that movie is really good. And I know some people's going to get p- pissed off with the premise. I don't really care about shit like that. But uh, just the acting alone was good. What else did I see recently? I saw another movie. I saw something else on the plane ride. What did I see? What the fuck did I watch? <sighs> I can't remember now. There was something else I had seen, but um, the Guardians of the Galaxy one I really enjoyed. By the way, people are saying the new Ahsoka, the new Disney Plus Star Wars with um, Rosario Dawson. Is that her name? They say that's pretty good. I haven't seen it, but I want to check it out. Luke, how much do you think global trade would be affected if China were? I mean, Jesus Christ, fellas. Do I think it would be? I don't even want to begin to speculate on an answer this difficult that I'm deeply unqualified to answer. I appreciate Henry. The donation it's very kind of you but um i'm incapable of giving even a remotely halfway helpful answer on something like this perhaps i can find an answer to it but i cannot give you one um if o'malley beats sanhagen cheeto and marab will he be in the goat conversation that'd be pretty good um yeah he would be yeah he would be for for bantamweight for bantamweight Terrence Crawford talks about moving all the way and fight Canelo 168 from 147. How crazy is this? Extremely crazy. Can he beat Canelo? Let's see how Canelo looks against Charlo. But um, that's insane. That's like, I can't even describe to you how insane that is. I mean, the guy has a world title at what, 135? Right? So he'd have a a world title at 135, world titles at 140, all of them. World titles at 147, all of them then skipping 154 then skipping 160 and then going to 168 dude you gotta you gotta be you gotta be holy shit level good 
dude, if he did something like that, we're talking, I mean, Bud is already in the conversation as an all-time great, right? That's a, that's a given. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Easy, easy, easy. Imagine he were to skip all the way to 168 and take all of Canelo's belt. Oh, oh. well, now you're having Mount Rushmore conversations at that point, right? Who has to eat more crow? People who doubted Bisping or O'Malley becoming champ? A lot of people said he would never be. Well, I think O'Malley, because Bisping, you know, didn't get it till real late in his career, and it was a rematch he got on like super short notice. O'Malley, it seems to me, was a little bit more predictable. Again, I thought Aljo would win, but like, you know, given how it played out, like, like that's like, oh yeah, right. Like he has that ability to do stuff like that. And he's in his 20s. That's a little more like dismissing him there is a little bit more, I think, unforgivable. But, you know, MMA is, is wild. When you put up community threads on your YouTube page, what percentage of comments do you actually read? If time permits, are we getting more live chats? If t- I, I, I go through and I read after the fact all of them usually, or most of them anyway. Let's say 80%. If we get, are we going to get more live chats if time permits? Yes. Yes. That, I mean, I've, 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 yes. Yes is the answer. On some BS, one or more of your friends must have given you shit for scamming a poor me. Yeah, okay. I mean, all right, Rick. There you go. You got your five bucks. Congrats, guy. Thank you. All right. Um, yes. We'll be in studio next week. Um, what else? Yes, we have a bunch of stuff planned. Uh, I don't want to say what exactly it is that we have planned yet because, whoops, excuse me. We have to um, put it all into play, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Someone's the same guy's asking how did Izzy's family get so wealthy in Africa? And dude, there are wealthy people all over the world, you know. I don't know if people know that or not, but like even in poor countries, there are people who are wealthy. I don't know how he got his wealth. I don't know. Uh, Luke, big fan of watching it many years. Thank you. Have, but haven't been watching the sport recently. It's nice to see after so many years, you're still doing this. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, nor NTC, but, uh, thank you, my friend. Yes. Still, still out here. Loyal to the game. Obi-Wan grew up wealthy. happy. <laughs> so I was trying to ask the same question just by changing up the names. I don't know how Obi-Wan grew up, uh, or whether he exploited people on Tatooine, maybe slaves or Jawas. I don't know. It's a great question. It's funny as shit. Uh, all right. Top five songs from today's hip-hop. Do you cry? Dude, what, what kind of question is this? What kind of question is this? Here. Here's my playlist right now. Like, hold on. Hold on. Show you my thing. My music. All right. Here is my... Yeah, I mean, this is what I've got right now. Uh, and this is just currently. Like, this this, this can change, like, you know, over the course of a week or a month, certainly over a year. But this is just it right now, right? Uh, I don't know if you can see that. I'll read it to you. Here. Uh, Six Feet Under, Non-Existence, Cannibal Corpse, Bloodblind, Daddy Yankee, Daddy Janky, as my wife would say, Gasolina, Dying Fetus, Feast of Ashes, J Balvin, uh, Joe Lejego, which is the part of the song he did with Bad Bunny. Uh, Pete Rock and CL Smooth, they reminisce over you. I put that on there because Washington posted like a hip-hop retrospective. Uh, Heavy Metal Kings, which is Vinny Paz and Ill Bill. If he dies, he dies. Pale Face, Lights Out. 
Pusha T and Kanye West new God flow and then run the jewels out of sight featuring two chains. Like, you know, just all it's just 40 year old white guy shit, bro. It, it's nothing. It is what it, I, I mean. I'm not like ashamed of it, but it is what it is. All right. Uh, remove the grounded opponent concept, allowing knees and kicks, allow strikes to the back of the head. No. Um, you, you back of the head still has to be a no, no, because it's just a dangerous place to hit, but I'm all in favor of guys being hit, not if their back is on the ground, but if their knees are on the ground and they're not like prostrate and then they can get hit with a knee like a, like in one where if you like shoot and then you're under trapped underneath, you can't just stall there. You can hit, but I think that's about the limit of what is safe. Alex Pantoja is the Alex I was talking about. I don't remember without who that was. Oh, you mean, oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. So Sean going to 125 to fight Pantoja because he mentioned he had knocked him out in training. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. I don't know if he will, but I don't I don't think I'm not. I'm not interested in that. Uh, my guy, I hate to add to the pressures, but Violetta needs a sibling. You know this is true. We know. We know. We know. You're right. You are right. And we know. What makes Busquets such a great translator? Great question. Fabiano Busquets is the best translator in sports television. His Spanish is impeccable, like easy to understand, and he translates everything correctly. And like, for example, uh, on the Showtime side, my guy who's a tremendous, tremendous um, translator, Martin Bader, he's from Argentina. His, his, I would say Spanish to Spanish, Martin is just as good on that level. Like, like Martin and Fabiano, they're both really, really, really good with their Spanish translation. Like I would rate them very equally in that way. But Fabiano can also do that in Portuguese. I just don't know anybody else who can do like level-headed, clear Spanish in the way that he can do it and then do it. Of course, he's, he's obviously Brazilian. So Spanish is like uh, he added it on as he did English. Like his like every dude, translation's hard. Like everything doesn't sound quite the same. Like it doesn't, you know, it's hard to explain. Like even short phrases, they don't. They don't, they don't, you can't transliterate. So to have the command in English that he does, the command in Spanish, the command in Portuguese, and then the ability to go and remix everything in between, dude, it's pretty, it's like, I just don't, I don't know any other translator in sports who can do that across the, the three languages at which he has command. I've seen it, you know, two languages, English to Spanish or whatever, vice versa, or, you know, any kind of combination, Chinese to English, whatever. But I've never seen someone who can do that. Like, that is the most incredible thing I've seen. All right, last one that we got to call it a day. Can you party with Chewy? How much hookers and hooch would he do? I would love to party with Chewy. Love the content. Thanks, bro. Uh, oh, wait, there's one more. Can you just quickly rank the UFC divisions by least to most interesting? Okay, least would got to be light heavyweight. Uh, then I put heavyweight, right? Um. I like middleweight more than most folks because of Izzy, but right now it's not that interesting. Actually, you know what? I might put welterweight above that. Then I'd put middleweight. Oh, but the women's divisions are different. I can't even rank them among the men's. I, I feel like it's so different. Then I'd go flyweight. And now we're getting to the good stuff. Um, feather... Bant feather lightweight bantam and then the women's side i would go just almost in order 115 112 135 right call it a day all right 
I got to get out of here. I got chores I got to do. I got stuff we have to do. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for watching. And even if you're a dickhead like the guy who left that stupid-ass comment uh, but left $5, I appreciate it, dude. You made my life a lot better today, so thank you. I'm glad you were here, just the same. But uh, this will be up on podcast, and I'll get everything switched out. Thank you guys so much for watching. Go watch the Cheeto Vera interview. Hang on. Ah, I can't put it in. Fuck. Uh, all right. Well, in any case, go watch it. It's a good time. I appreciate you guys. Until next time, stay frosty, bitches. Peace.